Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Keys of the Kingdom, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're not going to be tickling anybody's ears. We're not going to be lulling you into a sense of false salvation. We're not going to tell you that you're saved. You are saved by grace, not by the law. When we use the word law, we're using the Greek word nomos there, which is a very general term for law. And when Paul was talking about not being saved by the law, he was talking about the laws of the Pharisees, the traditions. They call them sometimes, that's the way the word is translated, uh, paradosis in the uh, uh, English translation of the original Greek that we see as the King James. It doesn't always translate it as tradition. Sometimes it translates it as ordinances. Because ordinances are laws too. They're part of a legal system. And somebody gets to pass an ordinance and you have to obey it. If you are citizen of the United States and have an employee identification number, a federal employee identification number, and you do some work, your labor, a portion of your labor, must be accounted for to the IRS. And you should pay the IRS what you owe them if you meet that criteria as income. Now, a lot of people don't like that. They feel the sting of that. And they feel burdened, especially in the downtrends of modern economies in the last several years. This has been very hard on people. They've lost everything. They've lost their jobs. They've had to change jobs. They, they've looked for alternative employment. It usually doesn't pay as much as what they used to have, yet they may still have as many expenses, so they have to cut back, and they're feeling the sting of a difficult economy. And they feel a lot of that sting coming from the government in the United States. It's not much different than other countries. There are other countries that have felt this pinch terribly all the way across the world. Even China is feeling this pinch. Of course, many of those people are already working as slave laborers, uh, used up, burnt out, and then sent back to the provinces where there's 50% unemployment. And they have a thriving economy in some parts of China and other parts they're in abject poverty and despair. And those that are thriving in the cities and making that machinery go are often treated as nothing more than human resources and terribly abused, work in factories where they're abused and overworked and exposed to toxins and are poisoned and uh, work long hours in difficult situations and uh, nobody really comes to their defense. And they struggle to survive. And it's been that way in China for a long time because there's a certain spirit that has grown up in China under the original warlords. And that really spirit hasn't changed. They now call themselves a communist government, but warlords are still ruling over the people. 
They may even call them contractors. For instance, a contractor can work you uh, day in, day out for weeks and weeks and then simply not pay you. And if you complain, they can have you beat up. And, and you know, you it, it's really back in the days of the warlords. They just wear suits and ties. Uh, they just still control because that spirit of control. And there's still this huge peasant class. One of the things that made a, uh, America great is we almost destroyed this idea of a um, class society. It's coming back, uh, but for a long time there, there was really very little attention paid in the modern, when I say modern in the last 200 years, American psyche to this idea of class distinction. I mean, it was around certainly during the American Revolution, but there was a there was a large percentage of people that could care less which class you came from. You'd still see elements of it even amongst what we call the forefathers. And, of course, that led to the Constitution, which had to do with them, not the general individual citizens of America. This is one of the things... When we're we're talking about the kingdom, we've got to talk about governments, we've got to talk about history, we've got to talk about the way in which men view history. And one of the things that they view today is that democracies are good. Less than 50 years ago, or let's say 75 years ago, democracy was considered a bad form of government. It was published that way. It was taught that way that democracy was a bad form of government, an extremist form of government, and America was considered a republic. It had already began to demise as a republic 50 years before that, but it was following a course of history that is uh, well-documented, not well-understood, but well-documented, which was the history of Rome, which originally was a republic and moved to an imperial democracy and then total subject citizens uh, where anybody who actually manifests the liberty that it had once enjoyed would be persecuted. And the only ones who were really manifesting that liberty within the Roman Empire were the Christians. The Christians were still seeking to be those free souls under God. And they had learned certain aspects of how to do that from Christ and John the Baptist and, of course, from the apostles. And it's in the biblical text on how to become a free people and stay a free people. It's in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's right there in the biblical text if you can get over this hump of metaphors that is used in the system. I heard somebody on the Internet, I get thousands of emails, and I have a mail wash program that gets rid of the junk and tries to deal with the network that we are putting together that is based upon the biblical principles of Christ and the early church. And it consists of free assemblies, which we call congregations or congregations of record or core core being a congregation of recorded elders 
elders that we recognize and know who they are and know where they are through the network. I don't know where they all are. People are asking me, you know, do we have anybody in Las Vegas? Yeah, well, there's some people in Las Vegas. I've never been to their house. I don't know where they are. I don't even have their address in my head. And I can barely remember all their names. <laughs> but they're there. And through the network, you can find them, but you're not going to find a list of names and addresses somewhere in the network. It's not running that way, never has. Early Christians didn't do it that way during any time of oppression. You certainly wouldn't want that, and you never know. Someday there might be an oppressive fascist state where you live, in Canada or or maybe Australia, or maybe the United States, these things happen. History repeats itself. And so you don't want a list of where everybody is at, but you want to be connected somehow, and connected to real living people that actually care about you as much as they care about themselves. This was the foundation of Christianity, or part of it, which was that you had to love your neighbor as yourself. You had to care about his rights. You had to care about his children. You had to care about his health, his well-being, his uh, finances, his business, because that's how he supported his family. You had to care about those things as much as you cared about your own. Christians today don't do that because Christians today are what we call, euphemistically, modern Christians. They don't look anything like the original Christians. They don't act like the original Christians. They're not bearing the fruit of the original Christians. As a matter of fact, what they're doing is more like what the Pharisees were doing and even the Sadducees were doing. There's a a lot of Sadducee Christians out there, and you would see how sad they are if you really understood what they were doing and how different that is from what the early Christians were doing. Because, you see, most preachers today that I know of, they don't even know what Jesus called the weightier matters were, much less do they know what Christ was preaching. I've actually heard ministers saying, when I point out that Christ said to do this, and Christ said to do that, and Christ said not to do this, and not to do that, he says, yeah, but that was before the crucifixion. Once the crucifixion is, we're saved by grace. We are saved by grace. We are. What makes you think you are one of the we are? Why do you think you're saved by grace? Oh, because I'm a believer. I'm a saved believer. Are you? Are you a saved believer? You think you are. It doesn't matter if you think you are. You could be under a strong delusion. You may not be saved. Oh, but I accepted Jesus. Did you accept the real Jesus? Or did you accept some fake, imaginary, concocted Jesus created by other modern Christian ministers who took the words of the Bible, deleted this, 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 because it was before the crucifixion, And then say, oh, we're only going to do this. And Paul says, we are saved by grace. So we're saved. Except Paul wasn't talking about you. Who was Paul talking to? 
Who is Paul talking about when he says brethren? He's talking about a particular group of people. He's not saying everybody's saved. He goes through long lists of people that have no place in the kingdom. You should have no fellowship with. He describes them. And he identifies them by the sins they are committing daily. And the policies they have. Do you have some of those policies that Paul rejected as not his brethren? Not saved? Not having any part of the kingdom? That wouldn't be you. No, right? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you're not quite the Christian you want to think you are. Because it doesn't matter what you think you are. It matters what Christ thinks you are. And Christ talks about those guys who say, Yeah, we did all this great stuff in your name. We had altar calls of 10,000 people in the giant football stadium. And they all accepted Christ as their Savior. And they were really excited about it. And they were thrilled. And they went back and did the same old, same old stuff that they've always done. That Christ said was a work of iniquity. That Christ said made the word of God to none effect. That Christ said could not enter into the kingdom. But they had an altar call. Aren't they saved? No. They said, but all we have to do is profess with our lips. You're taking that out of context. He's talking to people that were being persecuted for being Christians because they had repented and were following the ways of Christ. He wasn't talking about people who went up to the altar and in their imagination said, I accept Jesus. I don't know who the hell he is, but I accept him. And I use that word, hell he is. I don't know who the hell he is because the image they have of Christ is from hell itself. And the thing that they're doing to be saved imagining a false Christ in their minds and accepting that false Christ and worshiping that false Christ and imagining that surely they will not die because their minister said they're saved. Surely you won't die now because you're saved because you accepted the image of Christ I created for you by taking verses and chapters out of the Bible and convincing you that you are actually believing in Jesus and you are only believing in a false, artificial, twisted Jesus. And when you bring the quotes of Jesus out of his own mouth as to what you must do to attain eternal life, they say, oh, that doesn't count anymore. Don't look behind that curtain of what Jesus said. You're saved already. There's nothing you have to do. You can just do whatever you want. 
You can imagine whatever you want. You're saved already. That is a hellish gospel. Born in hell and out of the mouth of false preachers. It is true if you accept Jesus Christ that you are saved. But you've got to accept the real Jesus Christ. Not some made-up Jesus Christ. You have to accept Him, His ways of righteousness. He said to seek that. You're, you're still going to be saved by grace. Because you can't do it. You can't do it enough. You can't make it happen. You have to be changed by a power higher than you. You cannot pull yourselves into heaven by your bootstraps. Somebody else is going to have to reach out and take you by the hand and pull you in. But if you aren't loving and seeking the righteousness of Christ, the ways of Christ, if you're seeking diverse lusts, then you're not going to find Christ. Nope. And he's not going to find you. And he tells you that. I will not hear you in that day. Get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You never knew me. If you were doing what Moses told you to do, you would be closer to the kingdom than if you would listen to the modern preachers of today. Does that mean you've got to go out and learn Hebrew? No. Does that mean you have to start calling your holidays by Hebrew names? No. Does that mean that you, you've got to uh, keep special calendars and, and do it a certain way? No, it doesn't mean that. Now, you can do those things as personal self-disciplines, but you can't save yourself by your self-discipline. You need to understand the Spirit that moved in Christ. You need to know that Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme against Christ, you can still be saved. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be. How do you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? You deny the Holy Spirit. How do you deny the Holy Spirit? This is an important thing. How do you deny the Holy Spirit? It's when it tells you to get up and go do this thing. It, it's speaking to your heart and to your mind. This divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. And you say, oh, I can't do that because this is the day that I have to do this because my ancient calendar says I have to do this on this day. You have turned your back on the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I can't do that. I gave the example of a, a friend of mine who it was Seventh-day Adventist. It doesn't matter. He could have been a Jehovah Witness, anybody. But because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, he didn't work on Sabbath. He, he took the Sabbath off. I mean, it was Saturday. He, was, he, he didn't do any work on Saturday. And I knew a guy, and he knew a guy. And the guy was kind of a jerk. He was always trying to get on welfare and and all disability and stuff like that. But he had a family, and he had twins, little kids. There were twins that were, I don't know, two, three years old, and another older boy, and it was like five or six or something. And they were broke down on the side of the road. 
And they called him up, and this other Seventh-day Adventist guy was a mechanic. And they said they they couldn't get their car going. They couldn't get it started. And the mechanic knew what the problem was. Said, oh, I know what it is. I know what the problem is. But the sun is going down, and I can't come to help you because it's Sabbath. Now, he violated the very principles. He happened to own a bunch of animals that were all kinds of, actually, crossbreeds and stuff, goats and sheep that had crossed and stuff, which the Bible also tells you not to do. But, <laughs> but if one of them fell in a pit, he'd go pull it out probably on the Sabbath. Here's his neighbor, stuck on the side of the road in the middle of winter, with his small children out in the middle of nowhere. Okay. A few miles from him. You know, I don't know, five, ten miles. That's short out in this country. I mean, it would be a long walk to even get to somebody else's house. We live out in the desert. So he's stuck out in the desert. Not a house in sight. And actually, I guess they did get to a house. That's how he called it in on the cell phone. He walked to a house. But had to walk back to the house and got a phone and called the guy and the guy wouldn't come out to help him get his car started. And so they scrounged up a ride from somebody else and finally got back to some place so they didn't freeze to death that night. But no thanks to him. And but it was his belief in the rules of a book. And because he believed in the rules of the book instead of the Holy Spirit, he defied the Holy Spirit. When Peter stepped out of the boat and stood there for a moment, he did that because of the Holy Spirit. When he recognized who Christ was, it was, Blessed are you, Peter, because you know this, not because flesh and blood revealed it to you, but the Spirit of my Father in heaven. And he acted, he spoke according to what the Spirit was putting on his heart. This is what you need to do. This is what everybody needs to do, is follow that Holy Spirit. Where do you begin to do that? And you don't begin to do that completely in one moment. Even Paul, when he was knocked off his horse, he had to go away and contemplate and study. I mean, you couldn't even see at first. Well, it was just good. Now, you know, I mean, everything that Paul knew, he knew because he had read it and studied it. Flesh and blood had revealed the knowledge of things to him. But now he was going to have to ponder these things without his eyes and listen to that Holy Spirit to guide him. You have to do the same thing. Most of what seeking the kingdom about is setting down your baggage. You're a bunch of overloaded camels with a lot of preconceived ideas. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you got to set your stuff down. Your mental stuff and your physical stuff. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And I was talking to you about the fact that 
people have become overburdened camels. Now, of course, Jesus had an analogy about it's harder for a camel to get to the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And wealth is not always measured in dollars and cents. And when it talks about the love of money in the Bible, the word there actually is covetousness. It's just another form of covetousness. It comes from a word that is also translated to covet. And it's the coveting of money. It's, you know, have money, have wealth. There's nothing wrong with that, intrinsically so. I mean, uh, having lots of money gives you lots of opportunities for charity and to help others and to take care of others. So money in itself is not the problem. It's coveting that money or, or even loving it to the point where you are worshiping it. It's controlling your actions. What you do to get that money and keep that money is what is guiding you. That's the bad thing. Now, money's not the only form of wealth. Knowledge, information, uh, especially for the intellectual, this is a form of wealth. He prides himself on how much information he can retain in his head. How big his tree of knowledge gets. And it's fine to have that knowledge. It's a great tool to have that knowledge. There's no problem with having that knowledge. But when you use that knowledge as a source to decide good and evil, you're not headed towards God. You're not headed towards salvation. The knowledge is a tool. Listening to the Holy Spirit is a talent that you must develop. And the knowledge that you have can get in the way of following the Holy Spirit of that divine revelation as much, if not more, than love of wealth. Do not pride yourself in what you think you know. Because most of what you know probably ain't so. Yeah, Mark Twain had a, at least it's been attributed to Mark Twain. Actually, um, there's certain evidence that it was a plumber who uh, originally <laughs> said it. But uh, it's not so much what you uh, don't know that will get you into trouble, but it's what you absolutely know for sure that just ain't so. It just ain't so. So are you saved by grace? Yes. But I don't know if you particularly are saved by grace yet. Because I don't know if you've done what you need to do to obtain that grace. You say you profess him with your lips, but you could be a liar. You could be a liar to yourself. You could be deceived. You could be under a strong delusion. We know one's coming. And that you've actually believed the lie that you are saved. Because you believe in a Jesus. You know, there's a guy down the road from me. His name is Jesus. Do you believe in that guy? No, I know. I believe in the Jesus. Died on the cross for my sins. He died that ye might be saved. There's still a lot of might in what you think. And why am I picking on you about this? Because... Other ministers want to just say, you're saved. You said the words, you're saved. Now you're saved. Oh, now you feel good. Oh, I'm going to go back to this minister because he makes me feel so good. But the reality is, that's a 
big responsibility to tell somebody that they're saved and there's nothing they have to do. Wouldn't that be a cool tool of the devil? To deceive you into thinking that you are saved so you don't strive, seek the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like Jesus said you were supposed to do. You're not doing that anymore. Oh, you go to your church. and Oh, you go to your Bible study. Oh, you read your Bible. But only to build up in your mind a wall around your devotional idea that you're saved because you said you accepted Jesus. If I come along and I show you that Jesus was saying something specific that you needed to be striving to do. Couldn't do it perfectly. We're still going to be saved by grace, not by works, but it's about direction. What direction are you going? Most modern Christians are going the wrong way. Wide is the way to destruction. And that's where most modern Christians are headed, because they have believed a lie. A lie about Christ, a lie about their salvation. Now, I don't disagree with Paul. I still believe you're saved by grace and that all you have to do is believe. But what is belief? What does that mean to believe? To think in your head? That's it? That's not what the word originally meant. We're going to go through some of that. It's probably going to take quite a few shows. I'll get into some of the mystical stuff on the third show I do today, uh, which I hope I get back for. There's a lot of things going on today <laughs> here, and uh, I probably have to zip out the door at 90 miles an hour when the show is over. But anyway, modern Christians have come up with several private interpretations or personal philosophies about the teachings of Paul and the salvation through Jesus Christ. They use numerous quotes out of context and assume meanings of words in order to reinvent the gospel to suit their own varied desires. Now, that word varied desires is going to play back in here. I'm reading from a page at preparingyou.com. It's our wiki page that anybody can go and become an editor of that entire website. And I recommend that those who join the, the livingnetwork.org, which is trying to connect people all over the country that actually care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves, because that's a very rare person. Those are the real Christians, because they actually believe in Jesus and what he stood for and what his name stands for, what he meant by what he was saying, what the gospel of Jesus Christ, and actually believe in what Paul said. Not on what people think Paul said, but what he actually said. So anyway, you can go join thelivingnetwork.org, and you can go to the Preparing You website and look for Diverse Lusts in the search engine. And this page will probably show up. And that's where I'm going to be looking from. And I'm building that page. I, I spent about three hours working this morning on uh, our Romans section. We already went all through the... Uh, Romans, including Romans 13, have 20-some hours of recordings, as well as pages and pages, at least 16, 17 pages of material going over the epistle of the Ro- to the Romans, so that you actually 
have to set down a lot of baggage in order to understand what we're saying. But we tie it all into Jesus Christ because that's what Paul was preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was telling us some things that haven't been told by very many prophets directly. And they are things that are hard to understand, as Peter said. But if you take Paul out of the context of Paul and who he's talking to, then you're not going to understand Paul. If you think Paul was talking to you because you said a few words and you thought a few thoughts, then you're mistaken. Because he was talking to real believers. And we're going to go through step by step, and it's going to take a lot of time because you're under such a strong delusion. So you have to bear with us, and we'll put it all together in a study form eventually so that you can go over it. But anyway, a saved believer, this is what some people like to say, and I'm quoting a particular individual here. A saved believer who has trusted fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for his or her salvation, understands the simplicity of the gospel of grace. Absolutely true. But, most of the people who think they are saved believers, who are trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross, do not understand the simplicity of the gospel of grace, because they only think they're believers. They're not real believers. They think they're real believers. Christ warns a whole bunch of people are going to think they're believers. And he's going to say, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. And he goes through a great deal of detail explaining why he is telling you that he is going to say, get ye from me. I never knew you. You never knew me. But everybody who thinks they're a saved believer still thinks they're saved. And you're not using the litmus test. Of Christ to determine whether you're under a strong delusion or a saved believer. So the statement is true, but the question is, are you a saved believer? He gives three items. Jesus Christ died for their sins. Saved believers. Real saved believers. Not false saved believers. Not deluded saved believers. Died for their sins and paid for them all. He died that everybody might become a saved believer, but they got to do more than just say they're a believer because they could be deluded or self-deceived. God's perfect justice has been satisfied by the death of His Son. Right. But Jesus said, unless you forgive, neither will you be forgiven. From the beginning of the Gospel, He died that you might be saved. He's done his perfect duty. But you've got to repent. You've got to turn around. You've got to reach out. You've got to return to your father's house with the intention of serving your father. You have to do that. That's what the parables were all about. You're not doing it because your preachers aren't telling you what that looks like. They're stopping you at a signpost and saying you've arrived and you're not entering. They are like barking dogs in their pulpits 
What do I mean by that? Barking dogs in the manger that neither eat the hay nor do they let the oxen eat. Now, folks, you're going to have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Stop listening to the preachers that have deluded you into a false salvation. Ask yourself, can I turn my back and go the opposite way that Christ said to go and still imagine that I actually believe in Jesus Christ? As many as love me, keep my commandments. I didn't say anything about perfect or earning it by works. you got to be going the right direction, folks. And eventually we're going to show you how far off the right direction you are going. How much like the Pharisees you become. And, and you do it in your churches. And you make your pastors rich for tickling your ears. Though some of them were poor, you have made them rich. While Christ set the example, though he was rich, made himself poor. Item two. That Jesus was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he gives uh, Corinthians 15.1.4 as some sort of site that we should look at. And on the website at preparingyou.com, we have a connection right to Corinthians. And we go through Corinthians 1 through, uh, 15, 1 through 4, word by word, and show you the meaning of the words. And have a page and a video that starts describing what that was really all about. And in 15, 1, 4, moreover, brethren, he says, brethren. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to people that have already made a choice, a decision that changed their life and put them in danger of persecution. Who has already cut themselves off from the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other and are now praying for their daily bread through the congregation of brethren that are living by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. That's who he's talking to. He ain't talking to you. I declare unto you the gospel. What gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ, which I preach unto you. From the beginning, he said that he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What what gospel did you think he was preaching? The word gospel there is a proper noun for a word in the Greek. As from another word in the Greek, commonly translated preach. It literally means kind of good news or good message. And he's preaching the good news. It's not a proper noun. He's just saying, I declare unto you the good news, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. This is who he's talking to. Guys who have received the word already and have changed their lives, they're not perfect in it. They're striving. They're seeking. They're prodigal sons who have turned around, not eating at the pig troughs, but now feeding 
their daily bread based on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect love. This is who he's talking to. He's not talking to you unless you've done that. Wherein ye stand. They're standing in this other way. This way that Christ taught. This good news that you can become children of God, ruled by God, free of the traditions of men, if you will repent and turn around. This is, he, this is who he's talking to. The, the people who have already repented. To change their ways. And most Christians don't even know what that looks like. They get stopped before they look there because they're constantly told. And they're always looking up quotes to prove that they're saved already. And when you bring it up, I mean, some of them start spewing at you and, and cussing. And, and uh, they get angry and they, they start, oh man, they just start seething, writhing sometimes. Because the demons in them don't like the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. By which, this is what it goes on to say, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. By which what? By the fact that you have received the truth, of living by love instead of by force, wherein ye stand, in other words, you're actually living by love and not by force. You're not praying to the men who call themselves benefactors. You haven't made the fathers of the earth your father, but you pray to your father in heaven. We show you all kinds of documents of the early church that this is the way they did it. They took care of all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. This is how you distinguished a Christian from a non-Christian. For I believed unto you first. I delivered, excuse me. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. He heard this. I delivered it to you. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Christ, the anointed. He's saying the anointed. What does that mean? The king. When they say Christ, they mean king, anointed, Meshach, Messiah. David was called Meshach, Messiah, anointed. Jesus is called anointed. Jesus was called the highest son of David. There is another king when Jesus. This is really their king. This is where they go for their health care. This is where they go for their welfare. This is where they go for their education. They go to church. They teach their children in their home, but if they need help, they go to church. This is what they were doing. That's not what you're doing. You're going to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Whoa. Christ said not to be that way. Did you miss that? Did your pastors miss that? How many people are forced to contribute to your child's education? Because you're not paying all those bills. And it goes on to say, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So he quotes this, 1 Corinthians 15, but he leaves out the part about which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. 
by which you are saved if you keep in memory if you keep in memory conditions the standing in the ways of Christ not praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercises authority one over the other so when we're reading his first corinthians 15:14 all he says oh died i believe he was died and buried and, and rose again on the third day and so therefore i'm saved I'm not going to stand in anything. I'm not going to receive the message of Christ about not making the word of God to none effect, about keeping the commandments in order to obtain eternal life, about being doers of the word and not hearers only. I'm not going to listen to the parables about the fact that uh, I could be a worker of iniquity, yet claim to believe in Christ. I'm not going to listen to that. I just believe he rose from the dead, so I'm saved. Presto, bingo. I don't have to think about anything else. I don't have to do anything else. I'm just saved because I believe in that thing. I'm not standing like that, First Corinthians says. I'm not standing in the ways of Christ. I'm not keeping them in my memory. I don't even think of them. You're not saved. Item three. They receive... Believe and trust that Christ's perfect sacrifice is all that is required to save them. If they're believers, but they're not. They only believe the last sentence. They don't believe the first sentences of standing, of repenting, of turning around. goes on to say they know... They cannot add anything or subtract anything from Christ's sacrifice. Absolutely. But his sacrifice was so that ye might be saved. And you can't be saved unless you repent and seek him and his righteousness. And like the prodigal son, he will run out and meet you and save you halfway. But you got to repent and turn around. If your policies are contrary to Christ's policy, if your life is contrary to what he said to do of the gospel that was being preached even by John the Baptist, if you have no coat, where do you get that coat? If you don't have enough money for your retirement, where are you going to get that from? If you don't have enough money to educate your children at home, which the Bible tells you to do, where are you going to get the money to educate your children? Where are you going to get the money to if you don't have daily bread? Who are you going to pray to? Who are you going to call on? Not this modern church. They're going to send you to the men who exercise authority one over the other. But they're going to tell you you're saved. That is wrong. Salvation is a free gift. But you've got to turn around and reach out in the right direction to God. The God. The Christ. Or you don't get it. We'll be back next time on Keys to the Kingdom. And we'll tell you more about what nobody else will tell you. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom 
with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God again and we were talking about diverse lusts, and we haven't really got into that deep because we're talking about this delusion that modern Christians have. Modern Christians being Christians that are not really the Christians of the early church. They're not like them. They aren't doing what they were doing. They're doing something else. And they don't know they're doing something else because their preachers aren't telling them. And their preachers aren't telling them because they don't know. And they all don't know because they've spent the last 2,000 years trying to reinvent Jesus Christ using the Bible to reinvent Jesus Christ by slightly altering the meaning of words. And we've gone over that. We've got a number of recordings on that, all kinds of articles that goes out. Tenusaviews.com. It's at hisholychurch.org on religion. They've changed the meaning of the word religion in your minds. And so when you read the word religion in the Bible, you don't know what they're talking about. And there's two different kinds of religion. Ones that uh, operate by faith, hope, and charity and love. And the ones that operate by force. And from the beginning... John the Baptist was preaching against the one that operated by force by preaching proactively the one that is operated by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. This, of course, is what Paul was preaching, was this religion based on faith, hope, and charity, this belief based on faith, hope, and charity, which is what Christ was preaching, love, faith, hope, and charity, charity, and love, same words. And he was preaching this, and Paul was preaching this love. He said that if you don't have this love, it says charity, but it's the same word that is always translated love when Christ says it. Because he says that if I give everything I have away to the poor and I have not charity, wait a minute, how could you give everything away to the poor and not have charity? Because charity, the love that he's talking about, doesn't necessarily mean give everything away. It's a different kind of love. It's a powerful love. You give everything away so you have nothing. How will that heap hot coals upon the heads of your enemy? In itself, nothing. Because it's not real love. 
Real love gives life. It's not just give away your stuff. But you have to be willing to let go of your stuff in order to have real life. But just to give it all away might not be love at all. You you could kill an alcoholic by giving him a hundred dollars. You know, a skid row alcoholic. And he can go out and buy so much whiskey he'll kill himself. You don't want to give him a hundred dollars. You want to you want to get him cleaned up. <laughs> you want him to change his ways. So anyway, this idea of of this love that we're supposed to have for one another, which Christ preached, if you don't have that then you don't really believe in Christ. You're not a believer. You, you, you just believe in in, uh, in artificial eschatology. And in the last show we talked about, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, how they read 1 through 4, but they don't understand what he's saying. He's talking about brethren who are doing what he says to do and what Christ said to do. Brothers. Who is my brethren, did Jesus say? Was it those who say, Lord, Lord? No. He who doeth the will of my Father is my brethren. So Paul's talking about those who are doing the will of my Father. Didn't you read that in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1? Brethren. That means something. Because they're doers of the word. Paul's talking to doers of the word. He's not talking to people who aren't doers of the word. He's not calling them believers. Because they're not. They're not believers. They're not saved. And they're often workers of iniquity. It's really simple. It's not complicated. But if you shut your brain off to part of this very basic truth and understanding, then you're not going to get it. And you know who shuts their brain off like that? People who are dead to the Holy Spirit. Because they're not moving according to the Holy Spirit. They're moving according to their knowledge of good and evil that they have plucked from the tree of knowledge. That's right. They pluck information from the tree of knowledge. When they read the Bible, they're looking for quotes that promote what they say. People say, oh, you can't just pick and choose. And then they immediately begin to pick and choose. And when you point out, hey, what about, he's talking to brethren who are standing in the ways of Christ, the gospel, that the good news that he brought, that was the gospel of Christ. He's talking to them. He's not talking to people who aren't standing in the ways and remembering the ways of Jesus Christ and doers of the word because they're brethren. He's not talking about those who are not brethren and what makes them brethren. Christ told you, he who doeth the will of the Father. If you're not doing the will of the Father, Paul tells you to get away from those people. Stay away from them. And he goes in big long list, and we'll get to that eventually. So anyway, on this page that we've been going over, preparingyou.com, in our wiki section of that site, which is mostly all wiki, wiki is you can actually put a page up there. You can become an editor. You can help build this site and preach the gospel of the kingdom. We have all kinds of pages there that get growing daily. On health and 
and health shares and and remedies for problems and solutions and congregations and networks. If you go to thelivingnetwork.org, it's going to take you to the Preparing You page where you can sign up to a group in your area. And you can read these articles and you can help improve them. Like I said, I spent three hours this morning going through improving our a whole section on the study of Romans. Paul's Romans, so that you actually understand it. Of course, it's not tickling your ears. It's very iconoclastic, but that's what we're giving you. So anyway, on this page of diverse lust, that's what you're going to look for, diverse lusts. And you'll uh, it'll open up a page there on that, preparingyou.com. And uh, we're under the section Saved Believers. What is a saved believer? We need to define these terms. If modern Christians are going to say a saved believer is someone who trusts fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, that's true. But do you really trust fully in that? Or you do trust in men who call themselves benefactors and exercise authority? Do you covet your neighbor's goods? Do you follow in the ways of Christ? Or do you follow in the ways that make the word of God the none effect? Because the brethren are doers of the word. And so Paul's talking to brethren. So if you're not doer of the word, he's not talking to you. It's really simple. I mean, it's self-evident. But it won't be to zombies. The walking dead. They're not going to get this. They're going to go, that can't be true. Because then I'm not a believer. And I'm not saved. And I have to actually do something. You know, when it says saved by works, it's implying that you do $100 worth of work and you get saved. It's not about amount. Jesus was very clear on that. Who gave more? The widow or the rich man? It's not about being saved by works. It's about being saved by your repentance and Christ's grace. Prodigal son, turning around. Repentance, turning around. That's what it means. You've got to turn around. Most modern Christians haven't turned around. As a matter of fact, they're going farther and farther away from Christ. But they think they're saved because the preachers keep tickling your ears and say, Yep, you're safe. Just keep walking this way. Just keep walking this way. But that's a gospel born in hell. And there will and those who promote it will have a lot to answer for. So the word believer, I go on and explain. The word believer only appears twice in the Bible. <laughs> twice in King James Bible. First in Acts 15:14 it says and believers were the more added to the Lord multitude both of men and women we see here translated from the uh, pistio a verb translated believe 239 times and believer once it is from the noun for faith It can mean to think, to be true, or 
place confidence in. So these believers are placing their confidence in when they got baptized. Multitude, men and women, Jews, were getting baptized by the thousands. And not, so that just all those guys, anybody who tells you Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ, tell them, blow it out your ear, because that ain't true. All the apostles were Jews. All these people that were being converted, that were there at Pentecost, a Jewish holiday, were being converted by the thousands to Christianity, which was the true form of Judaism. The others were the ones who said they are Jews, but they are not. They are not following the ways of Christ, the King of the Jews. They were following the ways of Rome, or Herod, or the Pharisees. So thousands upon thousands of Jews were converted to Christianity and became Jewish Christians, or Christian Jews, whatever you want to call it. They were citizens of Judea under Christ. And Christ appointed his kingdom to his apostles. I appointed unto you a kingdom. He said he was going to do it. Take away. He did. Gave it to them. That's the kingdom, folks. Is it fully manifested? No. There were still people being converted and changed and, and turning around. And for a thousand years, these people inhabited all throughout Europe doing things a different way. Dark ages weren't so dark. Or guys calculating the circumference of the earth. They're in the dark ages. A monk. <laughs> you know, I saw a show the other day where they have this uh, monk in the 7 AD, uh, 700 AD, 709 AD, supposedly coming out, and, and, and he's this superstitious mumbo-jumbo guy. You have no idea what the monks were like, what we call monks. They didn't call themselves monks back then. Were, were like. These were tough guys. These were go-to, get-it-done type people. And they weren't full of superstitious mumbo-jumbo, but they actually, there were healers amongst them. They were preaching a real gospel, a meaty gospel. These delusional guys that... Uh, and, you know, the, the movie was just mocking religion because they don't understand. Uh, they were even advocating uh, atheism. And, of course, it, well, the funny thing is Christians were all called atheists. <laughs> That's what they were accused of, being atheists. That, that was the crime that many Christians were persecuted for is because they were atheists. Yeah. But you don't understand what that means. They did believe in God. They just didn't believe in the gods that you believe in. They didn't pray to the gods of Rome for their welfare. They prayed to the God of heaven. Well, they can't see the God of heaven, so they called them atheists. They could see the gods of Rome. Christians were persecuted because they wouldn't join the welfare system. And here we see in Acts 5.14... Believers being baptized daily. What was happening when they got baptized daily? Multitudes of men and women being baptized daily. They were cast out of the welfare system, run 
by the Pharisees to the government of Judea that used the temples, including the Temple of Roma, to provide welfare and benefits for the people. If you got the baptism of Christ instead of the baptism of John the Baptist, you were cast out. These people were opting out of a social welfare system based on forcing your contributions. These were the brethren that Paul's talking to. And he was talking to the Romans. They were opting out of the welfare system operated through the temple of Saturn and the other temples of Rome. And they were now depending upon faith, hope, and charity. And in our series on Rome, we talk about some of those people who are actually relatives of Paul, who had been doing this, a similar thing when they were in Britain, trying to convince people that they shouldn't depend on government welfare. They should create welfare systems based on charity. And there's still a stone in England with the name of Paul's nephew, where he built a public charity works with his personal contributions instead of government funds. Encourage other people to contribute as well. Rome used to do all their welfare in that way when they were a republic. But when they moved to an indirect democracy and then to an imperial power, they did that by creating welfare by the state. That's how the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. This separated Christians from unbelievers who did not believe in faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They believed in force, which John the Baptist even said we weren't to do. If you have no coat, you just have to hope that your brother who has an extra coat will share with you. Or go out and earn the money and make yourself a coat. You can't pray to men to force your neighbor to contribute to you. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's turning around. That's repenting. That's going the other way. And that's what they were doing in Acts 5.14. That's who the believers were. The ones who believed that we should not covet our neighbor's goods. I don't know how to make it any clearer. We also see in the words of 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's the other place you see the word believer. Two places. Acts 5.14, 1 Timothy 4.12. Believers. Here the word pistos, meaning faithful, is defined of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Two different words translated believer. One meaning placing your confidence in what? Faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty and the ways of Christ. And the other one meaning the discharge 
of official duties in the transaction of business and the execution of commands. Those are believers. Pistos. Let no man despise thy youth. He's in 1 Timothy 4.12. What else was he talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Well, I'll let you go and read that. But we'll go on here. Here the, the, this word meaning faithful, discharging your duties. Remember, religion is the fulfillment of your duties to God and your fellow men. That's what it meant to Christians. That's what it meant in James when he talks about pure religion, to do that unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of government of the world. Do it only by charity. Only by love. And you cannot do that well unless you network. And that's why the church was such a network. And that's why you see it. If you read the book, Thy Kingdom Comes, which we have free online, you can read. We show you the history of how the church was operating for hundreds of years. Starting with the gospel. And who Paul was talking to the people that were operating according to those ways. Of Christ. And were doers of the word. He was not talking to people who were not doers of the word. That word pistos does come from a word pathia. Which means to persuade. To be persuaded. Or even to trust. Have confidence in. But as an adjective it is defining someone who... Because he is convinced or convicted of Christ and Christ's ways and what Christ taught and the gospel of Christ and the good news of Christ, he shows evidence of the faithful in the transaction of business of Christ, keeping the commandments of Christ. Because Christ said so and because he loves Christ. It's not a hard thing. If you don't really love Christ, if you love an artificially created image of Christ, you're going to find it really hard to keep the commandments because you're not guided by the Holy Spirit. You're still guided by the flesh. You're not building the church established by Jesus Christ because you're not operating from the revelation of Christ because you're not even hearing him. you got to remember, if you don't go in the ways of God, he will not hear you. He will not hear your prayers. The devil will hear your prayers. He'll even grant some of them keep you under a strong delusion. But the way in which he does it will be like the monkey's paw. Because <laughs> the devil has a monkey's paw. And those of you who know the story of the monkey's paw know what I'm talking about. And those of you who don't, you just have to wait till I decide to tell it. The modern Christian often divests the word believer of needing to show the execution of commands. They they say, no, a believer doesn't have to include the execution, execution of commands of Christ, nor even be persuaded to seek and follow the ways he said to go and be, even though Christ said to strive. When they asked, are many in the kingdom or a few? And he says, strive. For wide is the way to destruction, narrow is the path. The modern Christian says, well, wide is the path. Really wide is the path. As long as you think the right thought, you're saved. And here's a bunch of quotes that you can use to think the thought. Don't look at the first verse 
Only look at the fourth verse. Because <laughs> we're into the business of picking and choosing. No. Look at the whole thing. There's one gospel. Christ taught it. Paul taught it. And Paul taught you about things that are hard to understand. And if you start skipping what Paul says and only pick in certain parts and imagining that Paul was talking to you when he says, Brethren, no wonder you're confused. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.12 is clear that believers should be an example of in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. If they are not, that example we should be able to suspect, if not conclude, that they are not saved believers. Required outward evidence of belief is consistent with the teachings of Christ who says we are to be doers of the word. That's what he says. He says we should be doers of the word. Matthew 7.21 Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. But they say, oh, no, that doesn't count anymore. Jesus' words don't count anymore, huh? I don't think so. Matthew 7.24 Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, doeth them, and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon the rock. Maybe we shouldn't call them modern Christians. We'll call them sandy Christians. Matthew 7, 26. Um, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Matthew 16:27 For the son of man shall come in his glory of the father with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Oh my gosh. According to his works. What happened to the guy who didn't do anything with the talent that he got? Was he saved anyway? No, he had it taken away from him. And he ended up with nothing. Jesus said, well, you just keep it and go. He took it away from them. Matthew twelve fifty For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So who's your brethren now? Those who say but don't do are not your brethren. And Paul's not talking to them. As believers. Matthew 6, 2. Verse 3 also. Chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. Chapter 19, 16 to 21. I can quote verses. I could go on and on and on. They're all on that page. Going through. And you can go to Luke. Luke six thirty one. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. This is such a foundational, fundamental thing. If it's okay for you to take from your neighbor for your personal benefit, isn't it okay that your neighbor take from you for his personal benefit? Of course it's okay. That's something that we've discussed on the, the network just recently. 
And uh, I should send them that quote because they were out there thinking about, you know, taxes are illegal and unconstitutional. Bunk. We explain how the system works. You thought it was okay to take away from your neighbor, and now your neighbor's taking away from you. What's the big deal? Don't be surprised. But if you repent and stop taking from your neighbor, you have a chance to be saved. And you will need all the grace of God you can get because you won't be able to do enough. We'll be back and we'll talk more about the doers and the brethren when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're in our second hour on diverse lusts, and we're going through some of the verses that where Jesus Christ talks about being doers of the Word. Now, are you going to be a doer of the Word perfectly? No, but you got to at least be going in that direction, and that direction is far different than what modern Christians like to think. Real Christians were really changing their ways. They altered the direction they were going in their lives, in society, in their religion, everything. But their religion was for performance of their duty. Their belief required a performance of their duty to God and their fellow man. And God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the laws that Christ mentions, Paul mentions, Moses mentions. And we were quoting some of the due verses of the Bible, which include uh, Mark 3.35, and I was just reading from Luke 6.31, but also you can go to Luke 6.46 and 49, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Moreover cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, or whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Is like a man which built his house, and dig deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, and the stream beat vehemently upon the house, and could not make it, shake it, or move it. For it was founded upon a rock. Is that where your faith is founded? No. No. Not if it's not based on doing what the Lord says. Why is it so hard to do what the Lord says? Because you don't have real faith. Your faith is invented by your imagination. You know, it's, it's, you're dead to real faith. This real faith is really changes you. It changes the flow of life in you. It opens your eyes and you're no longer that zombie, that dead zombie religionist who goes around repeating verse upon verse, but never actually coming to a knowledge, an intimate knowledge with the fullness of the gospel. So that when you talk about what the Christians were really doing for one another, 
They don't see that. They don't think you need to, we don't have to do that. That God will save me. You know, it's really easy. God protects me. God saves me. Do you, why? Well, I know some of you have actually started reaching out in real ways. But it's a journey. It's a process. Don't stop. Don't, anybody says, oh, you don't have to do anymore. You've done enough. Forget it. That's not true. They're barking dogs again in the manger, not letting the oxen eat. You need to keep moving in the direction of God. It's like the prodigal son. It says, oh, I've done wrong. I've sinned against my father. I'm going to go back. And I'm heading back. And I get to the first town. And the guy says, I don't go there. Come work for me. I don't go back to your dad. You'll have to do things right the way your dad wants to do them. Hey, work for me. He'll end up in another pig farm situation. Don't stop. Keep going. Strive into there. Persevere is a word that Christ used. Luke thirteen twenty four. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Jesus is saying that. Paul did not come to overthrow Jesus. Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that later in the series and show you all the places where Paul says he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, therefore, you can't throw out what Jesus says and say we don't need that anymore. You do need that. You need to be striving to enter at the straight gate. Can you do it alone? No. You still got to have grace. Sure. John 3, 20 and 21. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. This is why people hate it when I tell them this. Neither cometh to the light. They don't want to come. I don't need to come. I'm saved already. Lest his deed should be reproved. He doesn't want to say, oh, yeah, Sure. I pray to men who exercise authority. Eh, don't tell me that's wrong. I'm saved because I thought I thought. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. He's not going to hide under a bushel basket. He's not going to be sneaky and deceptive. He's going to be open and say, hey, look, this is what I believe. This is what, this is what I do. This is what I say. This is what I live. This is what I strive for. John 5.20 For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. John 31, now we know that God heareth not sinners. Oh my gosh! You mean you can't keep sinning? Even though I thought I thought? I believed I was the brethren? I wasn't going to stand in the ways of the brethren, but I believed in the crucifixion. The devil believes that Christ was crucified. The devil believes he rose again from the dead. 
that the only difference between the devil and Christians is that the devil doesn't want to do what Christ said. And the modern Christian minister says, you don't have to do what Christ said. You just have to believe. That's demonic. That's demonic. You're supposed to be striving for the straight way. I'm sorry. (laughs) Your ministers have been deceived. But it's good news to know that. Because now you can repent and you can get them to repent by telling them they should repent. But beware. Tell a zombie he's dead. He'll eat you up. (laughs) He'll come after you. He'll fight against you. He'll hate you. He'll despise you. He'll want to shut you up. He doesn't want you to say strive and seek the ways of Christ. He wants you to think you don't have to do anything. And and I'm not saying that what you do earns you salvation. So, yeah, you're still saved by grace. It's about direction. That's why they all start with repent, change directions. And if you had been going that way, uh, healthcare systems wouldn't scare you. Uh, tyrants would, Goliath wouldn't scare you. You'd be, you wouldn't be the underdog. You are. You're the underdog because you're not going in with Christ. You got to go in with Christ. And you can't go in with Christ unless you're a doer of the word. You have to be following his ways. If you love him, follow his way. Because he doesn't hear sinners. That's what he just said. I know he doesn't hear sinners. I believe he doesn't hear sinners. I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. That's what Jesus says. John thirteen fifteen. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Don't have to be bond or free. You don't have to get free. You have to turn around in your heart. God will make you free. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fill out papers and then, now I'm a sovereign. And now I'm free. Now I'm an ambassador to the kingdom. No. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth. Now what is a good thing? Helping the poor. Any poor? Well, the brother. You remember that when Jesus talks about those, he says, come into the kingdom. He says, because you fed me and you clothed me and you visited me and you gave me drink when I was thirsty and all this stuff. And they said, when did we do these things? He said, when you did them to the least of my brethren. That doesn't mean that you go out and feed everybody that's hungry and hope that some of them might be the brethren of Christ. You could be feeding demons. You could be feeding evil, wicked men so that they get their strength back and go and strangle somebody. How do you know who to feed and who not to feed? Holy Spirit. You have to be seeking to do the will of the Father, not earn salvation. This is why it is important to know that it's not by anything other than grace. 
But it's important to know that you're on the right track, on Christ's track and Christ's way. Colossians 3.25 But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. No respecter of persons, it says. Is it wrong to tell people they don't have to do anything when Christ said they do? Is it wrong to tell people they don't have to strive, seek the kingdom, or the righteousness of God? They just have to believe. It is wrong. Because that's not what Paul was saying. He was talking to the brethren who had already repented and turned around and were going the other way. Read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Read them carefully. Brethren. Who are the brethren? Doers of the word. Not hearers only. James one twenty two, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, receiving your own selves. Deceiving your own selves. Deceiving your own selves. If you're a hearer, but not a doer, you're deceiving your own selves. You have believed a lie. James 2.17 Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. James 4.17 Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. This is where you got, you've gotten, because you don't really believe. Peter one fourteen. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Lusts. Remember, we started diverse lusts and we finally got around to the word lusts. Desires. You think lusts, oh, that's sex. No. It just means desires, things you want. I want free education. I want health care. I want uh, Social Security. I want guaranteed benefits. I want, I want, I want, I want. I gave money into Social Security. I want it back now. You gave money into Social Security to take care of the needy of society because that was your religion. That's how you take care of the needy, widows, orphans, and needy of your society. That's what you were paying into. Someone actually said the other day that they, the government's supposed to take that money and invest it for our retirement. They don't invest that. They give it to the needy, and they get to decide who the needy is because they're the priests of your religion. Because religion is how you take care of the needy. Read James. That's your religion. Those, you know, we should put everybody at the Social Security office needs to wear long robes down to the ground. They can wear black, red, white, I don't care what color, but they need to wear long robes. We should make that a rule. And you can do that for them because they're all servants of that system. So that you know that those are the priests of your society. When you give them money, that's your sacrifice. That is your Corbin. That's what the word means, Corbin. It means sacrifice. But that's the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God in effect. Because that's what the 
that's what Herod started, was a system of social welfare based on you get baptized, you're registered, you have to pay in. You're registered with the scribes in the temple, you have to pay in. And Congress, what they call the Sanhedrin, decides how much you pay in and how much you're going to get back. And there were riots at the time of Jesus Christ put down by Pontius Pilate because they said they were pilfering the money and there wouldn't be any money for their Social Security. <laughs> That's right. You know, I repeat that many, many times. You hear that over and over again. But that's so foundational. Because how can you turn around unless you know where you're at? You, you, want to, you don't want to just spin around and go back the same direction. You want to turn around and go the opposite direction, which is what the church was doing. All those people back there called believers and acts that we talked about at the beginning, all those people, they were opting out of the social welfare system operated through the temple by the Pharisees and opting into a social welfare system operated by the church called faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. And that's who Paul was talking to as believers. Brethren, didn't you know that? You hear, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't see. You don't have eyes to hear and see with. And evidently, you've been brought under that delusion and deceived your own self. Don't pick and choose. I'm going all over the place and getting these quotes. You're picking and choosing. Second Timothy, verse 6, chapter 3. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts. And that doesn't have to be women. It can be effeminate men. Still fools they are. Remember the other quote that we said earlier about fools? Foolish men, Matthew 7.26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto foolish man. That's right. Likened unto foolish man. If we look at other places, if we go in here, I believe it's at Romans. Romans 1.16 down to Romans 21. Because of that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, we know the Gospel of Paul, they become fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. And to birds and foolish beasts and creeping things. And when we go on to that, don't get carried away with the metaphor. You can create images. Remember back there he said in their imagination. That's where it starts. In your imagination you have created God. 
you have created a Christ. And you believe in that imagined Christ. But the real Christ said you were not to be the way that you have become. Where were you supposed to pray for your daily bread? Our Father who art in heaven, not our Father who art in Washington or or in any of the other capitals of the world, Ontario, Sydney, or wherever you're wherever you go to your welfare office. You're supposed to be taking care of one another by love for one another. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Not creating an image of Christ in your mind and worship that image. And use the Bible to bolster that image which you have put up on a pedestal that has bits and pieces of the truth, but you exclude the other parts. You think Paul's talking to you instead of the brethren. You think that you're the brethren because you believe the second part, but not Christ. Because Christ said you had to be a doer. And you say, no, I don't have to be a doer. I remove the parts where Christ said I had to be a doer. And I'm only going to quote the parts where Paul says, all I have to do is believe. Even though Paul is talking about people who believe as people who are doers, who are executing their duty to God and their fellow man in pure religion, as James describes it. You see, I'm not picking and choosing. I'm picking the stuff you don't want to hear, and I'm telling you. To suggest that Paul's use of the term, my gospel, in Romans 2.16, somehow makes what Paul is preaching a different gospel, is taking away the foundation of Paul, which is Christ. That is the very definition of unsound doctrine. Romans 2.16, in the day... When God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. But what is my gospel? His gospel is Christ's gospel. And you need to be aware that his gospel is Christ's gospel. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.12 is clear that the believers should be this example of in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And if you're not, then I question. I, I demand that you look at the truth or falseness of this claim to be a believer. Because Paul says, you should be this example in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. So we should really look at some of those words. I don't know if we have time to get all those. Maybe we'll do that in the next show. But uh, if they were not an example, we should be able to suspect if not conclude that they are not the believers. And required outward evidence, belief inconsistent uh, with the teachings of Christ who says we are to be doers of the word and must bear the fruits of repentance. 
We see that in Matthew 3, 8, bringing forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. In Luke 3, 8, being, uh, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father, or I say unto you that God is able to make stones to raise up uh, children unto Abraham. He's talking about this. The same way as you say that we're saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. And we don't have to be doers. We don't have to bear the fruits of repentance. Because we're believers. No. No. Christ is making very clear that he can raise up uh, children of God from unbelievers. People who say they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they actually do it the will of the Father. And Christ explains that in that parable about you come in. He's saying, us? Why us? We're not even believers, they're thinking. And to the believers, he says, you, I don't even know. Now, it's not that way because there are those who say they are believers and understand Christ and understand the, the, the words like Christ and Jesus and all that stuff. And they are believers. But they are bringing forth fruits of repentance. Many who say they are believers are not bringing forth those fruits of repentance, and therefore we know they are deceived, self-deceived, fooled. And we must tell them so, so that they have a chance to repent and turn around. James insisted upon works. Peter, in not coveting, and being entangled again in the elements of the world, and cursing your children with debt. And we have footnotes on all that. Shows you all the quotes on that page. Boy, we're out of time. Until next week, may peace be with you. And may God bless you with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Until then, be good. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.